Welcome back to another episode of After the Storm. This is Hamna. And this is Roha. And today we're joined by a very special guest. Roha, you said that about our last guest. They're all special. I'm not going to bring in mediocre guests. (laughs) (laughs) That's a fair point. That's a fair point. Hey, average person, come in on our podcast. Can we do that next time? Just find somebody walking around and be like, you. (laughs) We want you on our podcast. Why? Because we need average and you look average. Oh my God, you're so mean. No, I'm not. Ask Daniel. I'm very nice. On that note, um, our guest today is my wonderful coworker Daniel, who is an absolutely lovely human being and has very graciously decided to volunteer for this episode. Um, today we are talking about white people culture. You know how in a lot of shows or podcasts or media, they'll bring in your token diversity person and interview them on behalf of the entire every... community? <laughs> yeah, quite literally. Um, We're going to flip the script on that today a little bit, and since Daniel has been kind enough to volunteer, I feel like we should let him introduce himself a little further. Hi, I'm Daniel. (laughs) (laughs) What do I say? And I'm I'm white. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god. This is literally like one of those ads, like, hi, this is me and this is my truth. That's amazing. Have you ever introduced yourself like that before, Daniel? N- no. This is like Can't Alcoholics Anonymous. That's what it sounds like. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think today is just going to be, uh, it's going to be a lighthearted conversation. You know, we're, none of this is too serious. So we're just going to be chatting with mm-hmm. Daniel. We're going to ask some questions. We might get him to say some things mm-hmm. and we'll see where it goes. Okay. I'm ready. Okay. Let's, let's go. Okay. I, I honestly... I feel like I have something to say, though, but it's yeah. most, it's centered around the fact that I never really experienced white culture until I came to Guelph, which is really strange. Because you've lived in, you were born in Montreal or something, right? Yeah, but I've only ever lived in, like, very immigrant-dense or multicultural-dense populations oh, where I was okay. exposed to everybody, right? <laughs> this, is, like, this is the whitest place I've been in. And how, how do you feel about that, Daniel? Uh, I, 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 <laughs> that's a difficult. <laughs> that's so awkward. I'm so sorry. I'm sorry. This is going to be the episode. We're just going to... Uh, are you from Guelph? No. Okay. I've been in Guelph since 2000-ish. I had one one uh, year in Toronto. Before that, I lived in Kamloops. That's so And cool. then before that, I lived in Sarnia. Those are two very pretty places. Sarnia? I don't know. I hear Sarnia is near the southwestern no yeah like there's lots of beaches and stuff uh, yes there are yeah. beaches um yeah i can see why people would say it's like really it's pretty it's on the country. lake it's close-ish to cottage country you wouldn't cottage in sarnia you'd cottage outside there's some pretty I parts of no it. cottages um yeah. i think that's her very first question on white people culture cottaging oh. yeah like what is that <laughs> what is up with that yeah. <laughs> what about co- like? <laughs> what what do you people do at a cottage? Uh, okay, so okay, we'll start with that at a cottage. Um, okay, so full disclosure, I didn't really. There wasn't a cottage in my family until probably the last ten years. So my my mom married a new guy who had a cottage in his family. But mm-hmm. what you do is, I mean, you go and you relax. Like you go swimming a lot. You maybe go canoeing. There's the cottage that I go to has no internet, right? So it's like low tech. You do a lot of reading and you watch VHS tapes and old school stuff like that. Um, not going to lie. That sounds very enticing. It's just not something my family would be down for, right? And it's like 
I get so mad about it. She's like, why wouldn't you? Well, why would we live like nomads when we move to this country? And I'm <laughs> yeah, I, guess I hear that a lot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like an intentional like trying to, but also more and more cottages are just looking like second houses, uh, right? I feel like cottages, I understand. Like, it makes sense. I'm just being annoying. Like, oh my God, what's a cottage? <laughs> but like, <laughs> the thing is, I never realized it, but like in Pakistan, right? People do have cottages in Murray and Sawat and stuff. Also, they have like, in, in Karachi, there's like people have beach houses and stuff, yeah, right? I just, That's true. My parents never like allowed me to experience that over there. There, and over here we just didn't have it yeah so this is more like a That's beef fair. thing with my parents <laughs> like yo what's up okay coming off of that i don't understand camping i want to do it i asked my parents if we could do it but they're like why 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 it's oh. very hostile why okay i guess i can speak for myself like why would i go camping part of it i think is to get away from all the like complicated stuff that we've been wrapped ourselves in so to like purposely be able to turn off my phone and tell people i'm not Mm. answering it at all no internet no nothing kind of get a sense of like like you're roughing it like you kind of feel like a a, (laughs) i haven't been camping in a long time i used to really like it when i was a kid honestly i love camping confession on white people things i have bought into fully camping is right at the top of the list I, I want to go camping. So I've never gone I will camping. Go, I will take you camping. Please. I do that with my family a lot. And it's honestly a fun time. But also, we're not the type of people that, like, fully disconnect. Like, we'll go camping, but my one uncle takes an air mattress with him because he wants to be comfy. Another one brings, brings a projector so we can watch movies at night. So, that's, like, that's legit. That's so not, like... Cute. Yeah, oh yeah it, it's not low tag, but it's fun. It's a, it's a good time. But also, when you've been roughing it your entire life, you want luxury. So I mm. totally get why people are like why would you ever do that okay another question i was thinking about this earlier when daniel and i were having uh dinner two things off of that okay first why do white people like celery yo what do you have against celery it's disgusting bro this is not a white thing it's It's people that value health like celery no 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 no. it is a white people thing nobody Mm. else that i know likes celery do you like celery I obviously feel some type of way about celery if I'm being hostile. It's because you were born in Montreal. I wasn't born there. I'm from the streets of Faisalabad. What is wrong with you? You don't even know me. These parts are tropical. They were not assembled here. I immigrated. I'm sorry, Daniel. This is just like, you're like, where am I? This is us getting very aggressive with each other. But okay, I only ever read about celery in like books right i'd be i'd be reading <laughs> stop laughing at me man <laughs> oh my god was celery some like mythical vegetable for yes. you yes yes i'd read about these all the white girls in my books would be like taking eating celery with peanut butter and raisins as a snack and i'd be like wow i guess it must be some really great thing if everybody's eating it so then i'm just literally just ignoring her shawarma in uae <laughs> like oh my god i can't have some celery <laughs> literally that was me so i came here and i was like one day i was like oh my god mom i really want celery so i go and get celery and it was the biggest scam of my entire life Dude, these are the issues you want to focus in on celery <laughs> yes sweet baby so Jesus. daniel why i it's i understand why just putting that out there i it's crunchy <laughs> I like, I like crunchy things and it's taste plus and I can't <laughs> bite it. 
hydrating you maybe get better teeth i can't bite it <laughs> oh my god maybe that's maybe that's a different problem i, think this, I need to go back to the you dentist you should try celery and soup it tastes really good it's great cream of celery soup that's really good oh my god you remember when we were in mississippi and we made chili that one time and yeah. there was celery in it i was picking out the celery and chucking it really so nasty so wasteful i have one but i don't know if i should ask it no just just do it no Nike. i don't want to fracture this relationship oh my god i'm i'm here willingly <laughs> i don't think you're gonna look at me the same ever again i think no. rohan knows what i'm going towards but i i don't i'm so lost why don't white people use bidets Oh, yo, I have this question, too. I, okay, I'll be honest with you. I haven't, like, I've seen them once in an airport when we flew through Dubai. Yeah. Oh. I saw them, and I don't know how they work. I don't know anything <laughs> about them. Hose. Yeah, so. Use at your own discretion. I can't tell you why it didn't catch here. I'm actually but, really confused uh, about that, because, like, why people love raving about hygiene? Yeah, it right? seems like it's skin. Yeah, like logically, it seems like it makes yeah. more sense. But they're just not anywhere for you to just like try it out and see how, <laughs> see how it works. Like, where do you go to like try something like that to decide? Yeah, yeah it kind of feels like a. It would be a big commitment yeah. to like stick them in the washroom and just hope it works I, out. <laughs> you don't even have to do that. We have little like. Oh my god, have you ever been inside like a brown person's house? Uh, I don't such a actually weird think question so. to ask. Okay, if you do and you go to their toilets, you're going to find like a little watering can. <laughs> and that's not to water our toilet plants. It's literally like a placeholder for a bidet. If you like, you can't install it. There's like a little... We use watering cans. We use watering cans. <laughs> you know, those fancy bidets in Dubai, we don't really have those here, so... Yeah. Well, that's... But that that must be kind of an interesting challenge, right? To like adapt to the way that houses are built here right without my dad installed one in our house earlier this year and i have stopped going to the bathroom anywhere else i'm living my best life now (laughs) (laughs) i can only imagine that it had something to do with like the pulp and paper industry wanting to keep making toilet paper maybe (laughs) we're like this is a conspiracy theory (laughs) well daniel you might be on to something i I don't know because we love our we love our pulp and paper in canada right so I have one question, but this might not be white people specific. It just might be like people specific that haven't been exposed to a lot of places. But like, I feel like certain people just don't know geography. Like when I first came to Guelph, I was like, oh, they tried guessing my ethnic background. First of all, I got Hawaiian. I got Spanish. I I don't even know how that works because I was like, wow, I'm literally the most brown person ever like i look <laughs> south asian like you might be confused from where but and then i told someone i was from pakistan and this girl was like oh my god that's so cool my dad loves dubai <laughs> okay <laughs> but yeah i just feel like people don't know where south asia is no, I think South Asia and the Middle East get mixed up a lot. And yeah. I think for partly some South Asians are to blame for that because they like to pretend they're Middle Eastern, but they're Yo, not. Why? Oh, my God. I hate, hate identity crises. Like, <laughs> stop. Love yourself. I think part of it is also like I did a tiny bit of traveling after um after university and i realized how little we actually learned about a lot of mm-hmm. things in 
like our edu- like at least yeah. the education I had, right? Mm-hmm. So we would we would do like a unit in elementary school on like a specific country. So it's like I knew hmm. a little bit about Japan and a little bit about Brazil and a little bit about Sweden, but we didn't really do the whole thing very that's, well. That's very true. That it might just be how like the Western education system works. Because the only reason I know so much is because like. I went to Saturday school, right? Like I had a whole other supplementary education. Yeah, and I like I made an effort a few years ago to kind of figure out where mm-hmm. all the countries are so that when I'm hearing news about places I kind of can mm-hmm. figure out like what part of the world does that in, but it's like yeah, I don't I don't know that a lot of people know that. That's so interesting because I was going to be like like do you, what kind of geography do you guys learn? But I guess it's very specific to Canada. It's because also very material specific. Like we learn about sedimentary rocks forever. Yeah, I I feel like I knew enough about Canada. I studied like I had a whole geography class on Canada mm-hmm. in grade 9. Mm-hmm. Um and then after that, I so I transitioned from the Um, Ontario curriculum to the BC curriculum Mm -hmm. and my entire geography unit in social science in grade 10 was just Mm -hmm. labeling a map of the world that was it and then the rest of it was history and then in grade 11 I did another social science and our geography textbook was published in like 1993 (laughs) so it was a little outdated um, at the time that I was there and it was basically like talking about the difference between first world and third world that was all i remember and that was already outdated then too and that was that was the extent of my geography like like yeah that explains it was very lacking that explains a lot because i always want because part of me was just like are people just ignorant here in north america but i guess if you're never taught something then you don't know any better right because i remember growing up like when i learned geography it was extensive like anytime Mm -hmm. anybody said i'm from this place i'm like oh where is that i would know where that is well and there's a reason why like so this is going to date me a little bit but i remember as a kid watching stuff on the news about conflicts in different places and you'll notice anytime you watch the news in North America they're very careful to like show you a map of the world and then zoom into the country and then Mm -hmm. point out the city that they're talking about Mm -hmm. to kind of situate it because if you were to just say a city and a country I think a lot of people wouldn't necessarily know where to place it but I could definitely tell you that I knew when I started doing and this is also going to make me sound like a bit of a dork but I do a lot of sporkle quizzes and so I did one where I, I learned all the countries of the world but I realized going into my first one I, I could name a lot of Europe and that was about mm. it and then the rest of it was a bit piecemeal I was pretty good at yes. South America because I watched a lot of Carmen San Diego <laughs> when I was a kid but when it came to other places mm. I was like whoa but that makes sense for like at least the Canadian education system, we have a lot of focus on Europe and we have um, a focus on how Canada was formed. But if you compare it to the states in certain parts where the education system isn't that good, their geography is only state-centric. Like, they don't even know what's up with the neighbors, right? So I think that's just like, it's not even a Western phenomenon. I think it just might be like an individual country phenomenon. You focus on yourself, right? But I think it's important to teach children about what's around the world, especially because we live in such a global society, right? Yeah. Even just Mm -hmm. kind of knowing roughly where Mm -hmm. things are, I think makes a difference. But yeah. This conversation about geography was way too deep. Let's (laughs) shift gears a little bit. Going back to celery. (laughs) (laughs) Why the celery? Why? 
I just can't. I still can't wrap my head around it. What else? What other interesting things have I observed about white culture here? White people are obsessed with cheese. I'm just going to go ahead and say that. Like, I didn't... I didn't realize cheese platters were a thing yeah. until I came here. Oh my God. And then suddenly people are I mean, you show I, up to I, a party I, and somebody I, pulled out a whole ass platter of just cheese. And it's like a delicacy, right? People are like, yo, oh my God, you would do that? You got all this cheese for me? And I'm <laughs> just like, what? It's probably because it's expensive. It like, is, good cheese is. is really expensive. I mean, I'm not complaining. I love cheese. Same, same. But yeah. I was like a little shook. Yeah, it just, it throws me off. Like, where does that... It's, it has to come from here. So my my family, my mom's side is Dutch, and Dutch there's a lot yeah. of cheese in Dutch yeah, culture. Yeah, it's a very European thing, like yeah. deli meats and cheese. And, and I mean, we're completely from the other side, mm-hmm. so yeah. Like, there's what? there's like a ton of mm-hmm. I don't know. It's so good though. It is so good. We're not complaining. <laughs> I know. No I complaints cheese. on that friend. Bring out more cheese. But legit, <laughs> if you bring a cheese platter anywhere, like you brought a high end, a high end oh like God. appetizer. Like that's ooh, considered ooh. like oh we you know networking you, now. you spend a lot of money on this right? Oh wow, okay. Yeah. But it's kind of like it's kind of like other things. Like you you need to know your cheese to be able to yeah. also impress. Like if you if you're going to somewhere where they know their cheese, then they're gonna know if you like yeah. skimped out and stuff like that. I don't risk it. I don't risk the cheese platter. Oh wow! So it's that intense. Yeah, you, unless you know, it comes with Rob's pickled pears, and then it's less uh, about the cheese and more about the pears. Ooh, okay, whoa. I have tried Rob's pickled. What pears. What is a Rob pickled? What like what are we talking about? <laughs> <laughs> I'm so confused. Pickled, pickled pears. So it's like pickles, but it's pears instead of cucumbers. Yeah. So Rob is Daniel's husband, and he likes pickling oh, things. Okay. okay. <laughs> Very niche. <laughs> Um, and he does pickled things. Hair sounds very exciting. It's, I love it's really good. Oh yeah, God. it's really good. I had it with cheese. <laughs> it's oh good God. with brie on a cracker. Anything with brie is good I on know. a cracker. Brie's... That's the whitest thing I've ever said in my entire <laughs> life. <laughs> oh my God. I'm so sorry. <laughs> oh my goodness. Wow. Okay. Okay. Um, I want to. I want to try something else now. Yes. Daniel, can we get you to pronounce some uh, some very brown things? Oh. And I just want to see Are how it gonna... goes. <laughs> yep, I'm ready. Okay. <laughs> Are you gonna ask me to read them? Or... No, I'm just gonna say it. Oh, and, and you just want me to emulate it? it. Oh, okay. Cool. Okay. Cool. 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 Are you ready for I'm, the first one? I'm sorry, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry for doing this to you, but your first word is. <laughs> No, don't do it. <laughs> no, what she's going to do, she's going to start on, like, the hardest level. Can you, like, go, like, do medium and then Scaffold. Go scaffold. Okay, fine. fine. Well, don't, don't start with your halak right away. I wasn't going to do you it. You were gonna, gonna. I heard the funny. huh. <laughs> Those sounds don't exist in English. <laughs> That's why it was going to be funny. Okay. Um, how do we... Let's start with something easy. Let's start with juta. Uh, juta. Yeah. That's easy. Juta yeah. means shoe. So I don't know why I chose that. Maybe it's because I'm not wearing shoes right now. Um, Does it mean one shoe or yeah. both shoes? Singular, just one shoe. Juta. Juta. Yeah. Most okay. commonly heard when my mother wants to throw her slipper on me. She's like, catch this juta, Roja. <laughs> yeah. I was literally going to reference that. Yeah, I got you. Yeah, I really wanted to talk about being white, but also being part of a minority group. Because you mentioned that. Like, how do you handle a marginalized identity? 
Yeah, 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 for sure. You mean like having a husband and like, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, right. So being a white male, like that's the which carries that's a, lot of a lot of privilege, because privilege yeah. but then like being the gay. Yeah, yeah how... is, yeah. That, that's been an interesting journey because I recognize particularly in the work that I've had and the people I've been around, like I recognize that, and this might be controversial, but I think, I think like m- my white identity carries a lot of privilege compared Mm -hmm. to some of the others and being male carries Mm -hmm. a lot of privilege and not to say that being gay doesn't come with its challenges Mm -hmm. but being white and like being white and male mitigates some of that Uh, you know I think at least when I hear yeah when I hear other people kind of talk about their experience not to say that it's been Mm -hmm. a walk in the park either because there's a lot of things but um, yeah I think oh this would be such a complicated sort of piece i think for me like when it comes to my own identity development the the interesting thing was i mostly hung out with girls when i was in school Mm -hmm. so i found that i was like listening a lot to the messaging that girls were getting so like i had a lot of concerns about my safety at night and things even though i was a white guy I assumed that because I was a little bit more on the mm-hmm. effeminate side that that was going to be a problem. So some of that narrative of, you know, don't walk at night, park mm-hmm. near lights, like that kind of filtered into my head you a little bit. adopting those behaviors? Yeah, even though they weren't necessarily targeted at me, I sort of right. thought they were in a way because they were a lot of how I would have been, mm-hmm. a lot of how I would have been made fun of was not necessarily because I was gay, but because people thought I was effeminate. And so right. they, it was more around their perception that I was feminine. Mm-hmm. And that was the concern, right? Mm-hmm. right? Particularly right. in elementary school and that kind of and thing. And these are things that are, or the dangers that are associated with being feminine. Yeah, so these are. Not this is kind of how like society treats women. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, well, if you're equating me with a woman, then some of this, right. you know, and yeah. you hear that. So but I mean, in general, I mean, I got, I was pretty fortunate with mm-hmm. where I grew up and the family, my family was very supportive. And so um, I think I, I probably go through a similar thing that a lot of people with a non-visible kind of minority status go which is like you kind of have to ask yourself at what point do I tell people or do I need mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. right so I was t- I think I was telling Hamna about this or I can't remember who it was but I, I lived in Guelph for five years I was always out in Guelph and then I went to college in, at Humber mm-hmm. and I was like just finished moving in and it was all great and then I laid on my bed and I was like ready to like go out and meet people and then I was like oh my gosh I have to come out again <laughs> Like nobody knows here. Like, when is that going to come out? When do I say things? When do I tell my roommate? And I was like, what? (laughs) And so you always kind of have that. But I think anybody who has Mm -hmm. something that's Mm non-visible gets confronted with that. But in some ways, I still had control Mm -hmm. over that to a certain degree. I mean, I was a bit on the effeminate side. People did ask questions and stuff. But I feel like when you are visibly different. You don't have control over disclosure mm-hmm. and it's a very different experience. I don't know if you folks have experienced that, but that's I, the thing is my two most visible things. I, I don't know how, if this would like be a good parallel, but I feel like because I'm not a visible Muslim, that was a part that like people didn't know. People assumed I was something. It was just wasn't like I'm a Muslim, right? So I wasn't a visible Muslim. Sorry, that's what I meant to say. So I don't know if that, like, stands. But as compared to my sister, my sister wears a headscarf, um, hijab. And she 
felt uncomfortable coming to Guelph a lot of the time. And uh, she was like, yo, 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 people are just going to focus on the fact that I'm Muslim, right? And I, I never had that. I'm like, no, what do you mean? No one cares, right? But I never thought of it from her point of view because she was a visible minority and I wasn't. I could get away with being, like, ambiguous about my faith. And um, that was just a concern she had because she has had, like, racist experiences in the past. And I think, I guess, that's where, like, what you mentioned that you can choose to disclose that and you can choose to keep that yeah um, it's something yeah. that you can pick the space like in a lot of ways mm-hmm. i can pick the space mm-hmm. that i disclose. i can choose to say something i can choose not to mm-hmm. you know that kind of thing but i think when it's something that is you have less choice over then you kind of live with it all mm-hmm. the time yeah um, it's very interesting to think about it that way that there's certain part or there are certain parts of your privilege that will override others mm. right and it, i mean it's all in concert together right like yeah. had i had i grown up in a family who had a very strong opinion about about being gay m- my story might be different mm-hmm. right and there i know people who did where you know they're white guys but they had a very different experience with coming out because mm-hmm. of kind of family history etc mm-hmm. and so that because that wasn't a big thing for my family then i i mean that was kind of a i got i guess i got lucky in that way mm-hmm. it's sad that it's about luck sometimes but honestly we yeah. talk about this Rohan and i talk about yeah. this a lot about the fact that like so much of your life has to do with luck yeah and that's shitty yeah that's and i mean shitty. like it's it was a product like my my it was definitely a product of like the family i was in the cities that i was in um, the time period I was born in, right? Like, there's a lot of things that worked in my favor when it came to that. But I have a question for you. So, because you had this experience of being a gay man, um, and obviously would experience some uh, what's the right word marginalization because mm-hmm. of that part of your identity, do you find that that almost helps you or helps create a bridge to other marginalized folks oh that is such a good challenging question um for loaded one for me personally Mm -hmm. i think so Mm -hmm. i think i i try really hard to like i have a very interdisciplinary mind so i find it really easy to take one subject and expand it outward but i know that that's not the same for a lot of people so I I mean, I, having kind of worked in the queer community for a while, I know the queer community struggles a lot with ageism and struggles a lot with racism, and there's a lot of that mm-hmm. in there. So I can't necessarily say that I think universally mm-hmm. being part of one minority yeah. makes you more open to the other minority experience. And, like, I used to wear an ally pin, um, mm-hmm. and people sort of questioned that. They were like, well, you're part of the community, so duh. But I said just because I'm gay doesn't necessarily Mm -hmm. mean I'm an ally to anybody else Mm -hmm. in the community. Right. Right? Right. So I wanted to make it clear that, yes, I'm an ally to trans people and intersex people and, you know, uh, two-spirit people, et cetera. Right? Mm -hmm. So I think that I would love to say yes, that that opens your mind to that. But I don't don't know that I've ever – I've seen that as often as I wish Mm -hmm. I I did. I I think that's where your experiences intersect with a lot of your personality, right? You have to be somebody that's empathetic. You have to be somebody that genuinely cares to listen to other people and want to connect with them because not everybody is like that. Um, There are people of marginalized identities that will very severely push against – 
other people of other marginalized identities. And you would expect that because you're both facing some kind of barrier that you would find a way of working together. But instead, it's like you push harder against other folks. So Well, and, and going back to your conversation, something I think I just realized now is that because really being gay is my only point of non privilege. Mm -hmm. I can isolate pretty much everything. Any kind of marginalization I felt has really, really goes back to that one thing. Mm -hmm. I don't really have to think about intersections, right? And like how things have layered. So once you, once you have different, like, it's very easy for me to pinpoint, oh, that was clearly because Mm -hmm. of this, because it obviously wasn't because of all these other things. Mm -hmm. Whereas I feel like as soon as you start layering, 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 those intersectional identities, it gets really complicated to kind of understand how the systems are working in interconnected ways yeah. to marginalize. Yeah, and, uh, right? and then what basis people are reacting to you on, right? Like if somebody reacts a certain way to me, it's always a question of like, is it because I'm a woman? Is it because I'm a Muslim? Is it because I'm a person of color? What? Or is it because of the, like the combination of those and what that presents itself mm. as? that somebody doesn't like right so that's it's very interesting i mean i feel like we need like one more token white person because i forgot to ask a lot of like my burning questions what are those like veganism what's up <laughs> oh, with that i don't know <laughs> i i was not i was vegetarian for a while i don't know <laughs> I, wish, I wish I could answer that. Very, I'm probably not the person to ask rhetorical. about that. But. No, I feel like most of what we want to ask is rhetorical just because like, yeah. we know we're not going to answer yeah. all of it. But it's yeah. still fun to try. I hear, here's a question for you both. Mm-hmm. What, do you, what was like the first thing you remember that was like super jarring about coming to Guelph? What was like the first thing you noticed? I'm just curious. The lack of tall buildings, if I'm being really honest. I have lived in a super, like, in an urban city my entire life. So when I first came to Guelph, I was shook because I was like, where are all the buildings? These are just little houses. Like, this is a village. That's what my parents called it, too. They're like, why do you live in a village? Why would you choose the village of all places to go to school? Yeah, guys, one time, Roja described Guelph as the pinned of Canada. (laughs) I can't get over it. Pinned means village. (laughs) I think everyone says that. You're the only person who said it to me. Oh, there's a sizable Punjabi community. They all say pinned. No, nobody calls Guelph the pinned of Canada, though. Yeah, they do. No, they don't. You need to broaden your circle. Clearly, I do. If any Punjabis want to be friends with me, I am taking applications. Worst people to be friends with you. Okay, I need two more Punjabi friends. I need uh, three more European friends. Yeah. Please, I need, I need one more white friend. I need to complete my quota. Basically, who are you? I don't know. Sometimes I confuse myself. Okay. Um, I think that kind of wraps up everything we've talked about today, which is a lot of different things. We we talked about. Shoes. shoes. <laughs> Flying shoes and camping <laughs> and celery. Jeez. And, you know, threw in some intersecting identities just for yeah. good measure. We got real deep for a few minutes there, which was cool. We learned something. Mm-hmm. I feel like I don't just want to waste people's time while yeah. they're listening. 
I honestly, I want to do like another episode just talking about intersectionality and how to be a better ally. Because the points you brought up were so good. Mm-hmm. I think that's one thing I struggle with too, um, how to be a better ally. Yeah. I, I think, think, but I honestly think that that's, if you're struggling with it, it means you're on a path. I think it's when people think mm. that they've arrived and they're like, I'm just an ally. Like I went yeah. to a workshop and I'm an ally now and that's good. Like being an ally means you know that you're always going to have to work at mm-hmm. it and it's mm-hmm. always going to be a struggle and it's always going to be learning and being open. I think that that's, that means that like you, you sort of are on a path to understanding because you know it's always going to be work. That's so comforting to hear. Yeah. Thank you. No, you're so wise, Daniel. I try. I'm a wise, <laughs> wise owl. He's a wise owl. Thank you so much for coming today, Daniel. Thank you for putting up with our stupid questions. I had a great time and I am super red. (laughs) (laughs) Shukriya, Daniel. (laughs) From the bottom of my heart. Bad, shukriya, apka. Juta. Just count with a thumb.